Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Recalling Saul. You like that name? Of course, we are talking about the, uh, or we're going to be reviewing and recapping Better Call Saul every single week, Arizona AMC. Uh, of course, I am Justin. You've heard me on many different podcasts, including So Help Me God and Overly Medicated over the past year and a half. And you have Pafifi, the cable box himself. What's going on? Da-na. Da-na. <laughs> Da-na-da-na. I don't know why I started doing that. It's not related to this at all. Uh, the, the sharks are here for another go around. Yeah, I, I've I've lost this completely. We're no, back, no. I was, I was going to get it back. I was going to say that the the Jaws theme is impending doom, and there is a lot of impending doom for a lot of characters. And Better Call Saul, as we near. The sixth and final season. We're in the penultimate season here, uh, and it start. I, you know, we're going to get to it in a second, but this season starts off hot and heavy, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the honestly, some of the most the mic stuff was very uh, was a little hotter than I expected it to be. Yeah, uh, they are. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it was hot in every every story. Got a little hot. Yeah, every every single one. Um, but of course. You know, for anyone who doesn't know, Better Call Saul is the uh, prequel, so to speak, to the Breaking Bad universe. We can now call it a universe because they now have a before, a middle, and an end, and even an after in this series. So you can say yeah, that, yeah. that things connect here. And uh, Better Call Saul, of course, has been airing for the better part of the past, hell, five years since I, since I moved to L.A. I think it, it began that uh, that year. And I mean, oh my, just, was Breaking Bad was already over when you moved here? Yeah, Breaking Bad ended in yeah, because, yeah, 2010. It, it, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, 2014, 2013. Because yeah, it, it ended when I was living in, uh, still Silver living Lake. in Koreatown. Oh, wow, wow, you lived in Koreatown. Yeah. Before Silver and, Lake. Yeah, and then and then you moved here then, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, of course, uh, it stars Bob Odenkirk as the titular character, uh, Saul Goodman, before he becomes Saul Goodman. We now Jimmy know. Jimmy McGill. Jimmy McGill and the, the trials and tribulations of, of uh, this, this disgraced lawyer who becomes... Uh, and the good graces again, and uh, yeah, uses disgraced uses becoming disgraced to achieve his final form. Exactly, and I think a lot of this the show, um, and you know, stop me if I'm wrong here. You know, a lot of people were waiting, and I think a lot of people might have checked out because he didn't become Saul immediately. Uh, yeah, he actually doesn't become Saul until literally moments before the season five. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, basically now. Yeah, uh, like, and and I was reading. I was reading um, Alan Seppenwall's review of the premiere on Rolling Stone, like one of the only TV critics I've ever followed. And he, he talked about this, how the, and we'll talk about some of this later, but how a lot of the show, the show I think that Gould and Gilligan set out to make is not the one they made. Mm-hmm. And so in the early seasons or in the early se- the first few episodes, I guess you can kind of see where they were like, Oh yeah. Okay. We got to get him to become Saul. And then they were like, actually, We'll take our time with that. So yeah, it has really like unfolded a, slowly. Yeah, because there's like a there's a cool storyline with his brother that is now this is the second season that that won't see uh, Michael McKeon. Uh, there there's this cool subplot with with uh, Rhea Seahorn who who um 
you know, plays his love interest or his girlfriend, really. Yeah, in, one in, of the, the most show. underrated performances on television, I think. A- absolutely. And then you have, you know, the, the other tertiary characters like Nacho. And, of course, you, you have Gus who returned last season. And, and then you have, you have uh, you know, you have Mike and everybody that comes yeah. back. And- so just to, again, to kind of catch people up or anybody who's uh, listening to this and not familiar uh, and is listening to this like a degenerate. Uh, but the show has kind of sectioned itself off into being half of an origin story for Saul that is making him a lot more tragic than I think the initial funny angle they intended to go in on with. And the other half of the show, because they separated that uh, funny guy angle from the crime angle of the show, that is now really being explored only through until this point yeah, only through, through and Mike, Mike and Gus and to some extent Nacho who's one of my favorite characters on the show yeah, um, we're gonna get a, we're gonna talk a lot about Nacho uh, in these first two episodes yeah because he really I mean this was this was the first time the show they did a little bit last season but this was really the first time the show is like okay he's uh, I mean he's uh, it felt as big as as Saul and Mike yeah, and um, I mean, there, there's so much that we could talk about, but I, I really want to, and again, the show is available on Netflix if you haven't watched the other seasons. Obviously, if you're listening to the show, you probably have. But yeah. uh, season four, and for the, for those who don't know, um, it pretty much ended as kind of like a, you know, when you, when you watched the last, you know, the last episode of season four, it was it ended kind of like uh, everything was back to kind of status quo almost mm-hmm. uh, where you had of course the super lab the, the 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 legendary super lab was being built and it's still you know under construction so to speak now uh under gus and, and there was a whole subplot with the, the scientists and the builders and and mike that uh we you know mike is feeling the effects of in this season yeah. clearly uh gus is kind of rising to power in his own little way. And I think that's really one of the, you know, we'll talk a lot more about this is that, you know, the way Gus has manipulated the cartel by himself is, yeah, you know, yeah. you start to see how that's happening. You see Nacho kind of torn in the middle of two different worlds here because Gus actually has taken him as the mole within the operation and uh, made him do a, a lot of things for him, for him, including helping Hector have that, that stroke that turns Hector into the man that we know today. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, I think especially with the lab, that feels the most like if you could you could watch the Saul half of the story and not really have seen Breaking Bad. I mean, it would be weird to be watching the show having not seen Breaking Bad because while it has done a great job of being its own show and being better than Breaking Bad in a lot of ways, it ultimately is still a prequel where you're barreling towards what you know is coming. Absolutely. And even if you can enjoy it on a plot level, it's hard to really understand the existential implications of a lot of the plot without having seen Breaking Bad. But what I'm building towards here is that the part that really feels, obviously the crime elements of it feel more like Breaking Bad, but the part that feels more like, oh, if you like Breaking Bad, this is how this happened, is the Mike stuff more than anything else. Yeah, because the, because Mike, he is still playing the connective tissue uh, between all these characters, because if there's no Mike, then Saul, then Saul never knows. Saul, Jimmy, never knows who Gus is, and I'm imagining that we're going to get to that this season as well. Yeah, is, is there if not, uh, if not in the next episode, episodes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, then, then of course you have Mike, you know, playing the person who, you know, now we get to see that Mike knew what the Super Lab was. He knew where it was. He was the man behind it. He has so he's so instrumental and so much behind it. And I think the the fact that it's so great that we know how this ends. 
we just don't know how they get there. And it that colors thing, his fate a lot differently, actually, I would say. Absolutely. His, his involvement makes, in all this. It makes his fate even more tragic. Yeah. Because we know the way that it ends and we know the type of person and the type of man that, that he uh, that he is through this. But at the end of season four, uh, Saul or, or Jimmy, his brother, of course, passed away at the end of season three. And he deals a lot with the depression and the displacement of that and trying to find his way in the world. And I thought that was the most sympathetic uh, that we had ever seen Jimmy after his brother passed away. His brother was tremendous, tremendous character. Uh, but again, to get out of his brother's shadow... Uh, of course, he was going through litigations, basically saying that he was going to get his lawyer's license uh, taken away. He gets it back uh, under provisional, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> under provisional circumstances. But he then decides, you know what, I'm not going to live under that name anymore. I'm going to be Saul Goodman, which leads us directly into uh, episode one, Magic Man for season five of uh, Better Call Saul. I want to go by characters here because there yeah. was two, there were two episodes. Uh, there was an episode on Sunday and Monday. Uh, they called it a two night uh, two night premiere, which I thought was pretty cool, but also a way to cut down the amount of uh, weeks that the show would be. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, I don't think we uh, we don't have to pretend that uh, this is their highest ad revenue generating show. So uh, I think that they were uh, they were probably hyped to. Uh, give what they know is a ravenous fan base a double premiere and yeah. also get uh, another week's worth of ad money from like Walking Dead or some shit that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to go through characters. I do we want to you want to start with Saul or do you yeah start let's start let's start with Saul. So uh, we get the fa- the flash forward every single season. We get a flash forward to. I mean, uh, we could spend the whole episode on the flash forward if we the, want. The we flash. can't, but. Well, we got to paint it with context here because the flash forwards here have been going for five seasons at this point, and they all seem to take place within the same week. Of yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. Or at least this, like, at least the past three of them do. Yeah, the past three of them. I think the past three. You're right. Were like the same day because it was literally, you know, he finds a kid, tells the kid to stay out of trouble. Then he has a he has some sort of uh, he faints, and then someone recognized him in season four. Yeah. Which which made him spiral out. And we see the after effects of that in the, in the flash forward here. And of course the flash forward, in case you're, there's no way you're listening to this. If you have uh, not already seen breaking bad, yeah. but, but we do know that Saul did get relocated by the, the vacuum man. Uh, we, of course we see, we see Robert Forrester. How do you feel? Friend about, Robert Forrester. I love that. How did you feel when you saw him? Did you, did you pop? It, it feels as though they filmed this around the same time they filmed El Camino. Yeah. I would be surprised if they didn't honestly just, I mean, here's, here's uh, not to, uh, ruin the magic of fictional worlds for uh, any of our listeners, but I would imagine honestly that uh, when they brought Robert Forrester in to shoot the scenes for uh, uh, for El Camino, they just had him stay an extra hour and record yeah. his half of the lines uh, for the I mean, the phone call. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if what if that took place. No, no, no. Well, El Camino takes place literally the day after. Uh, the, the series finale of Breaking Bad. So yeah. no, he, he, he it, it's a couple years past uh, Breaking Bad. We just don't know how long. Um, but Saul, you know, he, he he runs home because someone has found him. He thinks he, he has diamonds. We don't know where he has gotten these diamonds. Yeah, from. we don't know, right? I was really thinking, like, we don't know where these are from. Uh, 
Well, I, I think what, what's what's more kind of interesting is that like they love doing in these sh- in these shows. They they give us a MacGuffin to ask a question about, and then they pay it off. Yeah, the, the pink bear or yeah. uh, or you the, know, the rice and cigarette. The rice and cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the rice and cigarette. They did. It, oh, I was gonna say, but the, it's a little like, and I could have said, it's just a little categorically different from the bear because the bear, you're like. Oh, we're, why are there two guys in body bags right here? Why is the bear floating in this pool? Why is there a pink bear? Like that, that's a little more in line, I feel like, with the diamonds, even though it's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And um, so he, he's preparing to skip town to Missouri at this point. Uh, there's a part where he goes to a diner. And did you catch the parallels to, uh, to Walt at Denny's here? Uh, are, is, is Walt at Denny's uh, Granite State? Uh, Walt Denny's, yes, yeah, Granite State, and also after the uh, after the uh, before the Fuke State, I think, or after the Fuke State. Okay, yeah, 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 yes. It, it's they they like food. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love diner food in cinema? It's yeah. come on. Uh, but he he I, he stayed there for so long. Yeah, he was out. I mean, he even calls uh, Cinnabon where he works at and says, I'm not going to be back till Thursday, knowing full well that he's about to literally disappear forever. Um, I, I got to admit, this, the camera work here also, like the, the isolation, I think, that you feel with Saul is like this man is alone. Like he's not allowed to have any meaningful human connections anymore yeah. because, of, because of, you know, his Everything life. Everything he's done. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think what's really amazing about these is they're – not only are they pulling off like these little short stories, which is hard to do, but they're pulling off short stories that are basically existing within moments of each other. Mm-hmm. And they're also, n- nothing's happening. Right. Like in this one, something finally did happen. But uh, in the other ones, we've really just seen him be very paranoid. Yeah. I, I want to see if they, someone puts a super cut of these uh, <laughs> flash forwards together. Uh, you know, not, not kind of, trying to like have them out of context you know i, I think they're like just so we could watch them all sequentially it would be yeah, nice I, I think it'd be great because i even then i i had missed some points about it like i forgot he had the he had the fainting spell before he before he mm-hmm. mentioned it i for, mm-hmm. forgot about that part um so he he essentially returns back home because and he's, he's listening to a police scanner the whole time to see if anyone's i guess I, I didn't get the i didn't get it at first i watched this episode twice i didn't i'm still kind of understand the purpose of the police scanner like what would be the purpose of him trying to find somebody doing violent crimes. I, I think if someone was trying to kill him, they'd be doing it a little bit more subtly, right? Yeah. Well, I, that's, I agree. I think it's just kind of, uh, paranoia, paranoia and just a precaution. Like what's, what's the worst that could happen if I use this thing? I, I, I just kind of stay informed yeah. uh, because, you know, th- I guess in his mind, there's always the chance that, you know, the people who are after him are careless and get caught by the police. And then he can be like, Oh, I think these people were after me. Uh, but I do tend to think you're right that there's no, at this point, no one is out looking for Saul. Even if they are, it's not going to be on a police scanner. It's going to be uh, to his front door. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be federal. It's not yeah. going to be the the police showing up. Uh, but again, uh, you and I, I think, are too paranoid enough people to understand where he's coming from. Absolutely. Uh, and I, uh, I, 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 before we go any further, I really can't overstate how much I have. Uh, I just kind of on a, a well-done gimmick level loved these uh, flash forwards uh, as both a fan of the way Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have told stories and also uh, just how other shows, uh, you know, like Lost and stuff have done it throughout the years. But this one especially, 
I don't know that I have seen something that well done in a really long time. It felt like a damn uh, movie. It felt like yeah. a movie. And you watch this in like a, on a big TV, like we both have big TV. So like we're watching this and it's like, holy shit. Like, yeah, you know, I was it, watching it in pitch darkness, like so, so nervous. I think I texted you this, uh, uh, the, uh, the, another thing that uh, very few people have watched uh, the the new season of Twin Peaks has an ending that uh, kind of gets down to the wire where you're like, what? Uh, how can there only be this much time left? What's what's going to happen? Uh, and I remember just having an absolutely gut wrenching feeling of nervousness watching it, and it was great to have that same feeling watching the opening of something. Yes. Uh, so I mean, he does go back to work, and he and he meets Jeff, the guy who who uh, fingered him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and recognized him and just a tense moment the aforementioned tense moment you were talking about is this moment here yeah. where he's telling him uh, you know I, I've seen you I used to live in Albuquerque with my ex and you know I, I wrote with Sammy Hagar and he's more he's more famous than you like stop yeah. acting like he's, he's basically telling him stop acting like you're not who you say you are like yeah are you I just want to see you admit it and he makes him do uh, the shtick, he makes him do the Better Call Saul shtick, and this sends Gene slash Saul into a tailspin. He calls Robert Forster, uh, huge moment here, and he he warns Saul that, you know, it'll be more expensive this time, and, and you know, that's it. And he has a moment, and Saul says, I've, I'm going to fix it myself, and then he hangs up, and then we go into season five. What a <clears throat> moment. What a moment. It was we so have, good. We have no clue. Now, speculation on this is that uh, we may be moving because some, some people are speculating that since this season is moving so fast that half might be in the past and the other half might be in the future. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. Uh, that would be, I mean, that would be a lot, honestly, for knowing that it's, that there's another season left and knowing that, uh, I mean, you and I had heard uh, at least over a year ago, uh, if not more that they had planned on, they were planning on having six seasons. Yeah. Uh, so you would imagine it's been plotted out, at least in the broad strokes, pretty. If they're planning, uh, the prestige of the show is not going to change at this point, I would imagine. Whatever is going to be pulled off has been in the works. Uh, so it, getting that much of the future seems like a lot, but uh, they're incredibly good at making television, so what do I know? But if I had to guess, I would say, we might get a few more punches of it than we normally do. And then, yeah. then in the final season, maybe get more of a complete uh, down the line split. Because this, this flash forward was about 15 minutes in length this time, yeah. no commercial. And yeah, they, they, they definitely maximized it. These used to be at least five to 10. They, they gave it like an extra, I guess, five more minutes here. And it really did work. But uh, essentially, Saul's, Saul is kind of going into this character fully in, in the first two episodes, much to Kim's chagrin. Uh, and, he, and he knows it. I, I think the tenseness, uh, whenever they are together in their apartment, is like, you know, when is this going to blow up? I, I think this is just an overwhelming theme within this show right now is that, <laughs> that, that this is going to blow up. It's, it's going to blow up and we don't know when. And I think that that's the most interesting part is that, like, when is she going to hit her limit? Because, you know, Kim's not happy about the name change. She's not happy yeah. about anything going on here. But, you know, Saul is headfirst, as we know him, and we're starting to see this character come out. He's headfirst into his phone scheme that he, that he could yeah. last season. I mean, this relationship has never been particularly easy to watch, not only because we know because of Breaking Bad that it's doomed, uh, but 
just because it, it you can see like they've done a really good job of showing how like she's basically holding him back from the abyss even before she knows that's what she's doing. Like now, now she's at the point where she knows that's what she's doing. But before now they did a good job of, you know, of just making it uh, a normal relationship without her realizing that that was kind of the role that she was playing in it. And without him realizing how guilty he was in allowing her to be that for him uh, in a way that neither one of them really wanted yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, uh, Huel calls him the magic man because this is a he's he's he comes up with a plan where if you commit four felonies, you get the fifth one free, yeah, so to yeah. speak. Like he he's basically giving them these burner phones and offering them free legal counsel along with the burner phones, and you know it's an ingenious plot because a lot of people in Albuquerque are allegedly uh, very into the crime life here. Uh, you know, in, in episode one, not a lot of. Uh, Saul in this episode, I gotta say. No, there was not a ton. There, he got. I mean, well, we got the shitload of Gene, and then we got was a pretty long sequence. Uh, at the, I think I was gonna say carnival. You know, not yeah. really at carnival, but you know what I mean. Uh, and there was much more of him in uh, in the second episode. Yeah, for sure. Episode one was it was very much a, a Gus Lalo episode. But we'll get to that as well. Um, but I mean, moving forward into into Saul, like I think the pivotal moment in episode one here with his story was that you know Slip and Jimmy is now Saul now, and they, there's no difference, right? Like they, yeah. they're they're the same person at this point. He tries to get Kim to scam one of her clients in a really funny scene uh, before he shows up, where Kim is trying to get him to essentially take the deal, or else he's going to go to trial and he's yeah, going to go to jail. It's so good. I mean. I, I want to talk about this more later. Uh, if I forget, I, I want to talk about about it specifically with um, the two, the man and the woman working um, at the at the drug house. Uh, yes. I don't I don't know the the guy who got arrested. I don't know his name. I can't remember his name. Oh, but crazy! Man, yeah, crazy. The man. Yeah, crazy. The man and the woman working for Crazy Eight. I want to talk about this phenomenon a little later with them, but they're so good at. And, and they've done it with Huel over the years, uh, but they've done a really good job of just like they they cast and write their secondary characters so well that it's they're not like the most fleshed out or amazing characters on TV, but they are so good at their thing. That's what makes it great. Like and they can have their own show. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm a thousand percent more interested in Crazy Eight's story than I was when he was just some rando in yeah. season, season and, one of Breaking Bad. And that's and that's what is uh, that's what makes this show better than a show like I don't know, like a, a we dunk on the show a lot, but like on a, a Game of Thrones to me, uh, where like you know Thrones is uh, a show whose strengths were its casting and were its budget and were its ability to flex its muscles that way. But there were moments uh, sometimes when you would have characters uh, and they have a, a, a much, much larger ensemble cast, which leads to this anyway. But, you know, characters would be interacting in scenes and you'd be like, I don't know who the fuck these people are, even though they're on screen all the time. I see them in the background in so many episodes. What are they doing? But then you watch a show like Breaking Bad and people who have 
far less screen time and far like interactions with far fewer people because of the moments they choose to depict. They're just more fully fleshed out characters. It, it's just, it's not something you see a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and again, like you, you mentioned Huel, like we know who Huel is and we know his, his story. Like we don't necessarily need a lot of him in this show, but he's still interesting. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. We're, I, the, the, I guess what I mean is like, if, if we, if you and I were watching this show and uh, you know, we were watching it with somebody who doesn't watch it as much and they were like, Oh, who, who's that? And we, we have a lot oh, to that, say. Yeah. That's all. Oh, that's Huel. <laughs> He's hardly in the show, but like we feel like we like know you. We could talk for an hour about Huel, even though really you could talk about the show for an hour and not mention it. But I and that's what I love about it is that like even you know they, they, the economy of the show, and I know we mentioned there's not a lot of Saul in, in this episode, but because no, that is that is the word. The economy of storytelling on this show is unparalleled. Yeah, it's very tight, and you know as as much as like I wanted to complain about the Saul plot, it's because it was in service to you know something else that happens in in, in episode two, which. You know, now we, we learn with with uh, with Saul and, and everything like at the end of episode one ends with Kim being pissed because he eventually makes her slip again. And she's trying not to slip again. Yeah. And, and you know, I love that even with even before you're watching it and you know that he's arguing with her and she's saying, no, I don't want to do this. But what he's doing is the thing he's trying to get her to do. So exactly. then she goes and sits back down and it's already done. Yeah. And, and that's the type of control that, that chaos and the criminality that, you know, you can't control. She can't control it. It's, it's being criminal and it's the act of being criminal and he can slip, so to speak, so easily into it. And so like when you have these scenes, like in episode two, they're, they're having dinner and it's just, you know, she gets one scoop of ice cream. He gets like three. It's like, you're starting to see the differences and they're more, pro, more prolonged. And it's like, yeah. you, know they, you know how they say like, you know, usually when a relationship is done, the, you know, someone, someone in it knows months beforehand. And I feel like Saul and Kim are at that point where it's like, they are not the way that we saw them in season two when they were at their peak. Right. Or when, when season three, when she was helping him get away from his brother, that support's not there anymore. You know, like it's, it's, it's just some a flimsy, you know, a, a flimsy, uh, you know, flimsy, flimsy foundation, so to speak. Yeah, well, I guess in those other episodes, she kind of thought that she was like, helping like i think like, jimmy kind of thinks it's him against the world and for a while because of chuck being alive she thought that also yeah. but now it's clearer that he is making all his own problems yeah and and he's fully into it the the, the innocent wide-eyed guy is gone and, and he's been gone for a while. And I think he's been gone since Chuck died because now with no Chuck, there's no moral compass to show him the other side of the pendulum. The pendulum is clearly stuck. There's a weight on the other side of it that is pushing the criminality up at this point. And I think that's what, what's beautiful about it. Like, how do you feel about the house hunting scene between Kim and Saul? I, I think that was really interesting as he tries to get the magic back between them. And he, there's a moment where it does happen, but she's clearly not trying to buy a house with him. Oh, crushing, right, man? <laughs> uh, yeah, this was this was a rough one. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, yeah, this this felt um, it really real in a lot of ways, uh, both in the moments where they were like 
oh, we know this is fake, uh, this sucks. And in the moments where they were like, oh, this is kind of fake, but like, this is fun, this is really nice. Uh, and we're really enjoying this, even if we, you know, know that it might not mean what we're pretending it means or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, really, I mean, it was a scene that was both really on the nose and really subtle, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I mean, you find, you find out within this is that like she's 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 still kind of gauging how deep uh, Saul is into this this new persona. Like you find out he has forty five clients, and he feels as though like with these forty five, he'll be able to buy this house with her. Yeah, and, and and you know, at this point, we know as the audience, this is done. This is over with. You know, yeah. like they yeah. need, they need to break this apart. Yeah, it's but, it's it's hard to watch. It's really, I mean, it's crazy that. It's crazy that this show is making I mean, it, like let's not pretend that Bob Odenkirk is like your number one romantic leading man. Yeah. Uh but, but he's every man. He is. He is. It's so good. And yeah. and, and also he, the the romance between these two is uh just and this wasn't the point of Breaking Bad, but the romance between uh that Saul and uh, Rhea Seahorn is uh, so much better than anything that was ever on Breaking Bad, just in terms of like chemistry and uh, yeah, not, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw the performances of Cranston and Gunn under the bus any at all. Uh, I just mean like the the actual romance of the relationship is a lot more uh, crucial to strangely to Saul than it was to Breaking Bad. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, again, it, it's really, really like the way they write this relationship is so real in a lot of ways. And yeah. not just not because like one person's a criminal, the other person's a lawyer. And that there's like the, the tug between, you know, Saul's, uh, you know, his, his soul is, is in a stake, but because of just the, the, the broad strokes of it is that this is, these are two people that have grown apart, right? Like these are people that are just not vibing on the same level anymore. And yeah. that's due to different things happening in their lives. Like remember the Mesa Verde stuff from the, the couple of seasons ago, you know, that was something they came together for. And he really tried to help her with. And those days are done. Like, they can't vibe on criminality anymore. Uh, and, you know, I said it in my notes, you know, Kim is going to explode and it's going to be ugly. And before that happens, though, uh, Saul gets stuck in an elevator <laughs> with the yeah. DA. Oh, man. It's uh, the... The thing if this show, if this show is, if this show was like a Saul scam a week, like like the you know how they have the the uh, the the baddie of the week in most shows, yeah, if yeah, yeah. Saul, If it's a Saul scam of the week, I'm all in. For a, for periods of time, it has been, which is you know it's fun when that happens. Uh, I really like that what they did with this in a really fun way is kind of what they did in the cold open flash forward in a, a, a uh, gut wrenching way, uh, and that is like he stopped this elevator. Like he rigged this to happen. Yeah. Uh, they don't explicitly say that, but like, there's no, like, no, he gives the guy, he gives the elevator guy money. Oh yes. Yeah. He does. He does. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, he, she doesn't explicitly say that. She doesn't say like, Oh, somehow I'm coincidentally trapped in an elevator with you. Uh, but I think it kind of highlights uh, the thing in the cold open, which is like, Oh, is there, more to this mm-hmm. like it, are you actually here to kill me are you a cab driver who yeah. if you're a cab driver why are you with a bouncer who looks like he's in the russian mob like it's there's always the you know 
what's unsaid between parties is is often just as powerful on the show as what is said. Yeah, of course. And and at the end of this, he, of course, he gets uh, he gets reduced sentences for nearly every one of his forty five clients. Uh, and of course, he's going to get that money, which is going to lead into him being able to run more phone scams and get more clients. You start to see now why he has such a lock on the criminal enterprise within Albuquerque. You know, it's like this guy has been doing it for years. This show takes place like five or six years before uh, before Breaking Bad starts. So uh, he gets picked up by Nacho. And let's talk about Nacho and the Saul cartel drama a lot of stuff going on with this uh, in the first two episodes a lot of things they're set up between lalo gus and nacho of course yeah lalo- you know, you know, we do, we do you want to do nacho now yeah let's do well they all come together yeah know, yeah let's do girl. nacho and then kind of end with mike yeah we we will we'll, uh let's let's call it let's call them all cartel yeah so yeah they, yeah they, they all they all uh diver i think i think mike speaks more to Gus than anyone else in that uh yeah, in that So Lalo appeared in just a little bit of backstory. Lalo was a throwaway name that Saul said on the first episode that he was ever introduced on Breaking Bad. He's mentioned something like, is this this Lalo? They have, have you finally found me? Uh, I don't know where he is or something like that. And now they've introduced him. I think uh, Vince Gilligan actually mentioned like, you know, he took, you know, Peter Gould took someone that was a throwaway in the script, like Lalo, and made a whole character out of him. And that's yeah. how the, the, the amount of dedication he has to the show to bring these things back up. But Lalo was introduced literally, I believe, on the last episode of season four. It's kind of like the fixer. Uh, the, the you know Hector and the Salamancas brought him in. He, Of course, he's Hector's nephew, I believe. And uh, he brought him in in order to figure out what the hell is going on with Gus and Albuquerque. Uh, he's still digging around for information on Gus's gang. Of course, you know, we know now, and we'll get to this when we talk about Mike, that Walter Ziegler was someone who was, he escaped and they found him. I think they spent like a whole episode trying to find him. And, uh, you know, Mike was forced to kill him. But, of course, Lalo doesn't know that. But he finds out uh, in a really cool twist. I, I really love this, this plot. And I, and I really want to talk to you about this, uh, Pat, the, the plot about the, the stepped on drugs. So uh, he's, he's talking in, in the restaurant about it. And Nacho says, you know, somebody's been serving inferior pro- uh, product, which kind of spurns Lalo to ignore the super lab plot that he's picking up on and go figure out what it is. If any, he, he goes to this, uh, the trap house, so to speak. What a, what a setup here. Yeah. They, they've really got it. Uh, they've got the whole thing going here. I mean, they, uh, the, they got the sawn off shotgun. Yeah. They got the reinforced doors. And uh, most of all, they got the drain pipe. <laughs> yeah, the drain the drain pipe actually might be the the weak link. I mean, it is spoiler alert the weak link in in all this. But uh, yeah, let, let's uh, let's let's dig into this. So Lalo he goes in, he finds the, the the drugs, he hits some of it himself, and finds out you know this isn't this isn't our stuff. Which uh, later on leads into uh, Lalo going in and meeting with Gus, who Gus subtly confirms to Lalo that he's been working on the lab in lieu of another lie on top of it, that he was dealing with the missing scientist because the scientist uh, was someone who escaped with some of the product. Of course, this is all a lie. And they had to replace the product with inferior product and they had to deal with the scientist. And in fact, the super lab is a big chicken freezer for his restaurant. Marvelous. That was a great chicken freezer. Uh, it's a chiller. Our meat is not frozen. (laughs) 
it was an amazing and, and Lalo can just see at this point, you know, that this is just pure horseshit. And it is. But but the way that uh Gus has the cartel and their trust, they're not willing to let that go uh so so easily, right? No, not not at all. He's making them too much money, I think. So it, it's definitely, you know, something that they don't wanna they don't wanna give up. And you know, essentially he, he gets away with this lie, but we later find out that this is all a big head fake, so to speak, because Nacho was the one that reveals it, and which leads to kind of you know down the rabbit hole here uh, to the truth. The the truth of the uh... the super lab being hidden, so to speak. Oh I, yes, yes, okay, yeah, yeah. Because when they take Nacho in episode two, he says, "I did what I told you to do." You know, I <laughs> I told him about the dope, and I led him to to everything. I, you know. What, what, what's happening here? So uh, Lalo does visit Hector in the, in the first time we see him in season five at the uh, old folks' home, and he's basically confirms that he's in New Mexico to assuage uh, Hector's paranoia over Gus. And Hector rightfully confirms or rightfully uh, suspects that Gus might be wanting revenge for them killing his friend Mike, uh, which we saw in Breaking Bad on the episode Salute. Uh, why Gus is so upset with the cartel? And that is uh, really great. The the Gus, like where Gus stands with the cartel in this show, I think is the biggest uh, clue into his character because we don't see a lot of Gus that is in in terms of his action really being different from the way he is on Breaking Bad. But we do get to see that he really can infiltrate the cartel like at this absolutely critical level yeah that will like when he says like you know you don't understand gustavo like, everything is business with him uh and knowing what we know gus will one day do you know it's great he basically has these people fooled the entire time yeah and we know like the the background as to why he has them fooled and not only that like we know in the show he's not going to get the revenge that he you know, we want him to get and that we're looking for. We know what happens down the line, but I think it's even more important that we see the steps that he's taken to make sure that it happens. And he's been planning this for almost 10 years to the point where, you know, Breaking Bad ends and, and he actually does take down the cartel. It's really kind of amazing to see uh, all of this, this come together. So Gus does have a, uh, a bit of a, a showdown with Mike. I guess we'll wait to get to that when we get to Mike's part. But to continue on to the cartel storyline, episode two uh, entitled 50% Off, uh, the, big, uh, the, the big crux of this episode is Nacho trying to gain Lalo's trust at the behest of Gus because, you know, Tyrus and, uh, and, and the gang come through and they're attempting basically to threaten him in a really cool shot. Uh, I, I love uh, how not only they showed uh, how Gus used intimidation, because remember in Breaking Bad, we don't get a lot of, a whole hell of a lot of, uh, you know, clues as to how ruthless he is. Yeah, because we only see him like in the really, he's only totally ruthless when like in randomly hits him in moments in Breaking yeah. Bad. Yeah, like when pushed, like literally yeah. he, he does the, the box cutter thing when he's been pushed to do so. Here it just shows like this is the way he moves. This is the way he, he kind of uh, interacts with, with people when he takes Nacho and threatens to kill Nacho's father. Of course, we already know 
how important Nacho's father is to him. He's trying to get out of the game in order for t- to protect his father. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's basically tells, you know, Lalo gain his trust because essentially he has to, in order for the super lap to happen, Lalo has to go, which I'm kind of, I got chills because I don't know where, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I love one shot here where Gus, did you like the shot where he moved the rear view mirror over to his eyes so that Nacho could see who he is? Yeah, it was great. And that, the, I love that whole scene. I thought the, the staging of it was, uh, was really good. I mean, it really made us feel, I think the way that Nacho felt. Right. Uh, and this was when I was texting you like, uh, like who gives a shit how long a scene is like this. It was, it was, it lasted forever and it was so good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the, another large part of this is in order to gain, uh, the trust of, uh, Lalo, something, you know, of course, sort of something serendipitous happens. Uh, I, I, you know, we're, we're following and I love the, the almost as though it were written. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we, we follow around these two tweakers, uh, from the beginning of the, of the episode two, all the way to when they get to the aforementioned trap house we were talking about before they buy some of the, uh, the crystal. It falls. You guys are on the longest binge and the successful <laughs> binge of all time. So they, they get the, the drugs thrown into the, the storm drain uh, and essentially get stuck. So the Crazy Eight goes down to try and grab it. Uh, of course, of course, the cops come and Crazy Eight gets lifted. However, the dope is still in the house, which leads Lalo and uh, Nacho to have to go in and try and get the drugs. Of course, Crazy Eight has already been taken in. Uh, and Nacho does something... Nacho has more skills than we know, right, Pat? Like he's he's we've always suspected that he, you know, there's a reason why he's been kept around. Yeah. In this, in this episode, we see why. I mean, uh, Nachito did some ninja shit there. Uh, that was <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, love, and they, love, they Lalo, love Lalo taunting him from the car as well. Yeah, it was so good. It really uh was like Lalo's a little bit of uh not now Uh, up until then i think was a little bit unnuanced uh just for what we were have been saying about all their characters like lalo is kind of just like uh an angry i don't trust anybody uh you know mustache twirling villain and even uh even the woman with the shotgun and the the dude who she works with at the trap house are kind of like more specific well-defined characters than lalo but once he starts doing this shit uh where he just is like okay if you're gonna go like you're crazy okay you're gonna get arrested and then he's just watching it loving it it was like oh, okay this is a this is a, it's a, amazing for nacho but it was kind of a better lalo scene yeah it, it really was because it showed again and he's been showing a lot more more personality in these last two episodes too but it's showing that he you know he doesn't trust anyone he's he's a he's a hard ass he's definitely you know doesn't take any shit but he softens up to Nacho after he gets the gets the dope back, and he says, "You know what? Like he lets the he lets him control that territory now." Yeah, and he Modellos. But he specifically says the crazy has to be dealt with, and this is going to be really important because, as we already know, and spoilers, skip ahead uh, about I'd say a minute. Now, as we already know, Pat, Hank, and Gomi are in this season, and as we already also know. Uh, Crazy Eight was his informant, so I think we're going to see that this season. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's one of the things where you're like, because they're so good at character, you know that it's going to be good. But on another show, you might be worried about it being 
like yes. a little bit of fan service. Yeah, this, uh, this makes sense. And but it's, here, it's time. Yeah, you're like, okay, well, I – and Hank and, and Gomi especially were like – I mean, hey, let's not pretend Hank didn't get his day in the sun on Breaking Bad. But uh, you can see how they will do this really well with these two characters. Absolutely. So, uh, of course, spoiler over, spoiler over, spoiler over. But, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see – how Nacho's decision to not take care of Crazy Eight affects the rest of this season, right? So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but that is the the uh, the uh, cartel storyline. Of course, you already know that Nacho goes to Saul in order to to take care of the Crazy Eight problem. Let's pray that he's not compromised, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Before, before Saul can get to him. Uh, so let's get to Mike. Finally, let's wrap this thing up with uh, Mike Ermin Trout. Mike. Mike is still dealing with the uh, the effects and the essentially the the after effects of having to kill uh, Werner Ziegler, who was just trying to get home to his wife. Uh, and I think this really affected Mike in a lot of ways because he's never been he's never had to kill a good person. Yeah, right? he's always killed bad people. He's always killed guys like the half measure speech. This was the first time he had to kill a good person in cold blood in order to. Uh, help out the bad guys and that's something that he hasn't had you know he hasn't been privy to for a long time yeah and it was really i mean mike's not having a good time in these uh in his life right now uh he's clearly still a lot more traumatized uh than i mean the not to get too far ahead of ourselves but uh between the ziegler thing and just being closer in life to the time his son died uh, is a lot rawer of a guy and while still pretty composed uh, and the guy we see in Breaking Bad in a lot of ways isn't quite that guy. Uh, and I think that really comes to a head in a way that's obvious with his granddaughter later on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, again, you know, my, I, I just think the unsung hero of not only Breaking Bad, but this as well. Jonathan Banks, man. Shout out to Yeah, him. I mean, he is so great. Uh, the And and uh, he had a great appearance that could have, as you you pointed out, the y'all didn't see this shit could suck. And and the his appearance, spoiler alert, in El Camino is good. Yeah, absolutely. And he really is. I mean, he he's, I would, I mean, I know everybody loves Gus. To me, Mike is the... I mean, he, it's him and Saul for, like, it's Cranston and Jesse and uh, Cranston and Paul and uh, Banks and Odenkirk. Yeah, for like, sure. Those are the four core of the show. Sure. And seeing how Mike, at this point, is the guy, like, he is, literally and figuratively, he's Gus's shooter. I mean, he is... He's Michael. He is composed at all times. Yeah, and we, and we can, never see him like this. Yeah, ever. he can get in anywhere. He can get, you know, he can do whatever needs to be done. He's the smartest guy in the room. And if he's not, he knows who the smartest guy in the room is, and he defers to that person. But here we see a guy who's, like, much more troubled. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that, again, uh, he is um, in a lot of ways the same way that Nacho is in the show. He's an emotion. He's the emotional beast of the of this show in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, because Stahl when... doesn't care what he's doing. Like he he knows, but you know that he cares about doing it more than he cares. About, I mean, obviously, than about stopping himself. Exactly. So we learn that Gus shuts down the super lab, uh, the construction of the super lab because of Lalo and his snooping around. 
Guff, Gus offers to pay Mike until the, the lab comes back into, uh, into construction. But he also confirms, and interestingly enough, that Z, he paid off Ziegler's wife uh, and they basically told a, a kind of like a fluff story to kind of cover up the assassination, so to speak. Yeah. But Mike, Mike still has very sore feelings about Gus. And I'm very interested in seeing what is going to co- co- you know, cause them to come together again because they're very tight in Breaking Bad. And here, their relationship could not be colder. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that eventually unfolds. And before we, I would imagine we're probably not going to talk about these Germans again. But in a way that I think I referenced a little bit uh, on uh, the Rodel Camino episode where we talked about uh, Medrigal and just like the its parent company being like in Europe and shit. Uh, if the show has any area where I think the crime is a little bit like, I don't know if you could have gotten away with that. It's the show's use of Europeans. Like, I, I, I will buy that these guys wouldn't have said anything and that Ziegler's wife would take the money and not say anything. But also, I would buy it if they didn't. Like, it's, it's you know, it's not that, uh, it's the show's least tight area. I yeah, for say. sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, really drag it over the fire for that but i do think that it's funny that in both breaking bad and better call saul my issue is with their use of tight mouth europeans <laughs> and, and and mike punching them out yeah exactly i mean it was a hell of a, a hell of a punch uh again not a lot of mike in episode one episode two but i think he has the most emotional resonance i think we're going to get a lot more of him in the episode three uh we're going to talk about the next next time on before we yeah. before we end the show oh we got to uh, talk about uh the scene with his granddaughter yeah we're talking about that right now okay yeah, yeah. uh mike gets called over and this and again we're seeing now mike has literally probably not left the house in days uh he's been drinking and uh his his you know daughter-in-law asked to uh asked him to watch kaylee uh, we get a lot of insight on on Mike's son uh, and, yeah. and everything that happened there. We didn't get a lot of of that within Breaking Bad. Just just a couple of things that we knew. We knew he got killed by some crooked cops. We knew that you know it was it was not so much of a sore issue as it is now. I, and I would imagine since we're, we're talking about the past, this literally probably just happened yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. And uh, Mike gets very 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 upset uh, when she when Kaylee keeps asking questions about uh, her father, which is Mike's son. He, he lashes out and uh, he he lashes out and he leaves and uh, you know he's not able to kind of reconnect even with the with the daughter in law yeah. Katie I believe her name is he lashes uh, out of the person who we know from Breaking Bad will end up being the person he is the closest to yeah for sure and now I'm, I'm more interested in seeing what are the parallels between what he did to Ziegler and what happened uh, to his son. And maybe that's why he's feeling so raw about it now. And I think, yeah. that, again, we are seeing a different side of Mike. And if, if this is where season five is taking us. I mean, essentially, Pat, this is going to be the last hurrah for a lot of these characters. And so it is time for us to get a little bit more in depth into Mike. Yeah. And I think we, it's interesting what you just said, like we may, it would be hard for the show to give us more information without, like just exposit like a kid talking through a backstory is about as good as you can get out a bunch of information without it being like kind of dumb. So I'd be surprised if we hear specifically a lot more about Mike's son, but it is like, we have never heard this much about him. And it is interesting that you bring up that, you know, he feels like uh, he did to Werner what people may have done to his son. 
which even if it's not exactly what happened, we can clearly tell that, uh, you know, he was a guy that was trying to get home to his family. Too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Uh, and, and that's where we are. That's where we're at in episode one and two. I think they are spectacular uh, two episodes. I think uh, episode one sets it up and episode two really knocks him down. Um, again, not a lot of salt in episode one. And I think that kind of, that kind of hurts it a bit, but I think when you watch them both within context, like uh, one after the other, it really does kind of work for me there. I can tell in episode three, as we see in the the next time on, uh, Mike is going to get into a fight, <laughs> which is going to be very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're going to see Saul start to work his magic for Crazy Eight, which I would imagine leads him to go see him in prison. And we're going to get a lot more uh, on that storyline there. A lot of stuff's happening, man. This, this show, for to a lot of to the chagrin of a lot of people, moved at a glacial pace. Uh, for the first four seasons, this this time around, they're getting right to it literally within minutes. So yeah, I mean, you kind of that's kind of how Breaking Bad was too. Yeah, it, it was it was really really like, and I texted you. I was like, "Yo, they are not wasting any time this season. I'm I'm for it. I'm with it." I did like the protracted, very slow pace of the, the other seasons, and, and it was very thoughtful. There were a lot of scenes, as you said, that lasted for a long time with characters and deep thought, and, and you got to see what was going on. Now it seems like this is the you know bang like everything's happening at once uh very strong first two episodes for uh better call saul and very great first episode of recalling saul pat thank you so much thank you this was great i mean i i said this to you the other day it's hard for me to make the case that this isn't the best show on tv uh it's not <laughs> one of the most heavily watched shows on tv so Absolutely it's kind of crazy to say that but uh I mean, it's well. It, well, it broke. It broke 1.6 million uh, uh, on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, a cable show. I think it's doing okay. Yeah, it's doing good. I mean, it's not doing like Breaking Bad numbers, but again, I think this show. Uh, you know, this was like a friendship kind of deal between AMC and Sony, where it's like, you know, you did this for us. You you can do whatever you want to do, and it just seems like they they give them an unlimited amount of money to do what they want to do with these shows because they know there's there's a fan base here. So. Uh, shout out to AMC for allowing that because yeah you know. yeah I mean there's really nothing like this and nothing there's a ton of really quality shows being made but there is nothing being made like this yeah and you know I I'm, I'm inclined to to start believing some of the some of the thoughts and the hype that this might end up being better than than Breaking Bad in a lot of ways I and I'm starting to buy into that right now because again I think the highs are so much higher. And I think that the fact that the the element of Break of Better Call Saul, and I'm going to talk about this a lot through this season, is that these characters are, are indebted to a fate that we already know is going to happen. So I think with Walt, it was tragic because we were seeing it in real time. With this, it's even more tragic because we know it's going to happen when it happens. And I think that's what this season is going to kind of encapsulate: is that we know what's going to happen to these characters, but it's going to it's it's going to suck to see it. But I'm really going to enjoy watching it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I don't want it to happen, but how they have it happen, I'm very excited to see. So uh, next week we'll be right back at you guys with episode three. Episode three of Better Call Saul is called uh, "The Guy for This," so I'm imagining that that would probably be Saul. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll be back next week with another episode of Recalling Saul. On the RNC Radio Network, follow us at RNC Radio Live. Follow me at OG Johnny Five and Pat at Puffy Also, make sure that you listen to us on Late Fees this Friday. We'll be talking about Ridley Scott, so uh, definitely tap into that. And uh, until then, for Pat, I'm Justin. We'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>